From finance and commerce, this is Beyond the Skyline, a podcast about economic development, commercial real estate, and construction in Minnesota. Above all, it's a show about what's next, creativity, and the innovation and technology that are changing how we work and shaping the future of business throughout our state. In each episode, you will meet business leaders, builders, entrepreneurs, and big thinkers who may challenge the status quo, but also make their dreams a reality. I'm Joel Shetler, your host and editor of Finance and Commerce, Minnesota's oldest business newspaper and online publication. Thanks so much for joining me. Diane Ebert has had a strong interest in the law since her middle school days, when she interviewed a local attorney about the legal profession and then penned a paper about her desire to be a lawyer. That career interest led to a degree at William Mitchell College of Law, a leadership position at Quinlivan and Hughes Law Firm in St. Cloud, and, as of July, a turn as president of the Minnesota State Bar Association. As CEO of Quinlivan and Hughes, Ebert represents government entities, corporations, and individuals on matters related to employment, liability insurance coverage, casualty law, and more. In the following interview, Ebert talks about her duties as MSBA president, the challenge of attracting and retaining lawyers in greater Minnesota, and making sure the justice system is fair for everybody. Well, thank you. Thank you for joining us, uh, Diane. And um, wanted to, um, I guess, congratulate you on your new role with the Minnesota State Bar Association as the current president. Um, what, uh, but I guess before we get into that, uh, just was wondering if you could talk a little bit about this kind of, uh, you know, you know, what, what drew you to the legal profession and, and um, you know, how, how did you, what factored into your choices um, becoming a lawyer? Is it just something you've always wanted to do or? Um, yeah, I mean, I think I can, um, I always tell the same story when people ask me that question. I remember being in an eighth grade civics class and we had to do a, a career paper on what we wanted to do. And, and um, I had, way back then had decided I was going to do my paper on being a lawyer. So I connected with a local um, attorney. There's nobody in my family that's ever been a lawyer before. So I didn't have that to fall back on. So I connected with a local attorney who happened to be the brother of a really good friend of mine um, and, um, you know, interviewed him um, for, about the, the job and the profession and wrote my paper. And it was sort of, um, from that point forward, I thought that's what I was going to do. So I had always planned on going to law school after I finished college. And, um, you know, the one, I suppose the one thing that, that did change um, is I never, as I, was, as I was pursuing my legal education and career, I didn't anticipate being a litigator. That was not something that was, that was, the, that was um, what I had planned on doing for my whole life. Um, I thought I would be um, a lawyer that sat in my office and provided advice and maybe wrote some documents, but I didn't really think about the court angle on it until um, I had gotten basically through law school and started clerking with a couple of judges in Olmstead County uh, and then realized that litigation was something that not only I could do, um, but that I was interested in doing. So um, that's pretty much what I've been doing since that time. Okay. And what are your primary areas of focus and who are your clients typically? Sure. So I started working 
um, as I said, I clerked for a year um, with a couple of judges and then I immediately went to work um, with the firm that I'm at now. It was under a different name at the time, um, but Quinlevin uh, in St. Cloud. And they, they have traditionally, at least when I started, their history had been in doing ins in insurance defense litigation. So, you know, everything from car accidents to, to uh, premises liability claims to employment claims, you know, anything that, that traditionally was under the insurance umbrella that would, would uh, garner some uh, defenses. Um, and so that's, that's how I grew up, I guess, if you will, in the practice. I uh, started doing, again, the more traditional insurance defense and it has, over the years, um, developed more into a uh, more narrow practice of uh, working with public entities, so a lot of cities, counties, um, school districts, um, on employment-related claims um, and civil rights, constitutional claims, that sort of thing. Okay. Are you working on any COVID-related stuff now, or has that changed your focus at all? Uh, you know, it certainly has changed with all the legislation that has come out in response to COVID. There's a lot of clients that need advice on what that legislation means for their workforces. So that certainly has um, at least opened up that avenue of conversation on a more transactional uh, standpoint. Um, and then, of course, there's the the ongoing question, which is unfortunate. You know, what do we do when we have someone who tests positive and how do we respond to that and how we handle it? So there has been some of that. Uh, thankfully, not a lot. <laughs> um, so, um, but yeah, it, it's, it, it has, I don't want to say provided opportunities because I, I don't think anybody wants to consider the pandemic as providing an opportunity, but it certainly has required us to pivot a little bit on the types of services that we provide. Well, can you talk a little bit about your uh, new duties with the Bar Association as president and what are some of the goals you'll be focusing on and, and how will you focus your efforts there? Sure. Um, well, you know, the responsibilities of being the Bar Association president are wide and varied even in the most usual circumstances. And I would certainly put us now into an unusual circumstance um, with, with the COVID, uh, circumstance, COVID era that we're of course dealing with. Um, but you know, the Bar Association in general uh, is, a, is representative of over 50% of the lawyers who are licensed in Minnesota. We're a voluntary Bar Association. Um, and I think there's something like just slightly over 25,000 attorneys in the state and almost 14,000 of them belong to uh, the MSBA. So um, as you can imagine, um, that brings together a wide variety of people and practices. And um, so it's not, um, it, it, it's a pretty diverse um, spectrum of issues that, that we have to deal with. But, um, you know, the MSBA at its core helps deal with the administration of justice, of course, um, making sure that we're addressing things that impact our profession. Um, we work to uh, make sure our membership um, has access to high quality uh, educational programs, um, you know, uh, maintaining public trust in the legal system is, is very, very high on the MSBA priority list. Um, and certainly advocating for the interests of our profession uh, as well. Um, so as the president, um, there's a fair amount of um, balancing that you have to do on all of those fronts. 
the structure of the MSBA um, is a little some people don't really appreciate it's it's not just the officers there are there's a 128 member assembly um, that really formulates the policy positions of the MSBA and then there's a 16 member council that works on the day-to-day -day management of the of, of those issues and putting those policies in place um, and then of course you have the leadership track um, but you know that isn't doesn't even take into account all of the the real work of the association that's being done by we have 37 sections and 18 or 15 or 16 committees um, and they're doing a lot of the you know they're the boots on the ground and doing a lot of the day-to-day -day work of the association so you know in my role as a president I obviously have the have the pleasure of um, you know managing if you will the council um, and making sure that the the policy positions are being um, put in place um, and, and being advocated for um, but but again there's a lot of hard work that goes into just managing the association and our staff is is uh, probably um, key more key to that process than, than people also realize because uh, they're the ones that are making sure that our members are are getting the value that they need from from their membership in just looking at some of your recent remarks on uh, since you became the president of the Bar Association, it talks like uh, it sounds like you have a strong interest in um, some of the social justice issues um, and how people people of color have access to and are making sure they're treated fairly by the justice system. And um, can you talk a little bit about that and kind of where you stand there and what you see as some of the ways to address that? Sure. You know, as I said, uh, the MSBA is one of the main purpose of the MSBA is to aid in the administration of justice. And, and for us to effectively do that, we have to make sure that the justice system is fair for everybody um, and not just um, exclusive to certain members of our society. Um, and I think that the MSBA takes that uh, position very seriously. Um, I think the MSBA collectively, like like many individuals and organizations following uh, the killing of George Floyd, um, has had to sort of um, become more more intentional about um, those responses that will be taken. And and um, as a group, uh, I actually just finished a, an MSBA council meeting before we connected here today. And and as a collective, our MSBA council is is. Um, dedicated to making sure that the MSBA does something to to move that needle forward as opposed to just simply reacting to what occurred back in May. Um, I wish I could tell you what those what those uh, efforts are going to be, but we're still in the process of figuring that out. We do know that there are lots of organizations that are already working very hard at addressing those issues and one way that we know through the association that we can uh, support that is to uh, serve as a resource to our members to connect them to those opportunities. So that's one way that we are trying to uh, make sure that we are, you know, fulfilling that that goal that we have of, of aiding in the administration of justice and making sure the justice system is fair. One other thing it sounds like that's top of mind is just uh, talking about uh, Greater Minnesota, and I guess the the struggle to attract and and retain lawyers there. Um, what, what can you say about that? Sure. 
Well, you know, it's obviously an issue that's near and dear to my heart because I do practice in St. Cloud. Um, and um, I can say that as a, as a business owner, um, we struggle um, to, to get um, applicants interested in coming out to practice in the greater Minnesota area. And, you know, again, based upon conversations I've had with lots of different people across the state, um, they're similarly struggling uh, to attract um, attorneys to practice out state. So, um, and just on a national level, there's a lot of conversation at the ABA about rural practice across America um, struggling. So, so I think as a profession, um, you know, we've got, certainly there are population centers in the, in the metro that, that are attractive to people that want to practice, um, but uh, it's sort of like like the old schoolhouse in, in rural America, in rural Minnesota. Uh, once that closes, everybody says that the community dies. Um, it's sort of like the local lawyer as well. You know, if you have to drive 70 or 80 miles to find a lawyer who can help you, um, that's not good. Um, and so it does stifle access to justice. Um, it does limit people's ability to actually get their legal needs met. So it certainly, I think, is something that I personally would like to see us address. Um, Unfortunately, it's not an easy answer. Um, I, I think statistically, law student enrollment is down. Um, we've found that the, the people that like to practice out state are usually those that have some sort of a connection to the community, whether they grew up there or they have family there or something like that. Um, and so, you know, we're trying to be creative as to how we, how we incentivize people to sort of give us a shot by looking at out state. Um, and, and again, I don't have any, any, you know, magic uh, bullet on that issue, but I think that talking about the benefits that you obtain by working out state, whether it's a slower paced lifestyle or a lower cost of living or, you know, high quality, um, access to, to activities, that sort of thing, all of those things might matter. Um, and so, um, those are things that I'm trying to, to explain to people as well. And, and frankly, you know, Again, not to say that something has good has come of COVID because I think so much bad has, but um, post COVID and being practicing in the COVID area has really opened up opportunities for greater Minnesota. Um, you don't have to drive to the Metro for those bar association meetings. We're doing all of our meetings virtually um, and our attendance has been great. Um, we are opening up uh, opportunities for leadership you know, through a virtual platform that someone might not have otherwise considered because it might have been too burdensome to do so. So, you know, we have to look at the silver lining on that. Um, and I think, um, you know, doing some of these things the way we're doing now, I hope we can retain them while still getting back to some sense of normalcy because so much of, of what the law practice is, at least for me, is, is interacting with people in person. Um, and spending time with people and getting to know people. So, um, yeah, those are some some ideas that I have. Sure, and it sounds like another issue is it sounds like there's probably some room for improvement in in, in terms of attracting more women and people of color to the profession, especially in in leadership positions. Do you have any thoughts on that? Is that something that's on your mind as well? Yeah, I mean, we, you know, um, diversity and, and inclusion is certainly part of the core beliefs of MSBA. It's been part of our strategic plan uh, for the last several years. And um, 
you know, we are, we are always looking for ways to enhance that membership. Um, again, you know, there's a lot of statistics out there. Um, sometimes it's just extending the invitation to someone is all they need before they realize that, um, oh, I do have a seat at the table or someone is interested in me participating. Uh, but some someone said today, actually during our meeting, that that people of color and women, you have to ask them three or four times before they'll accept. Um, and so we just have to keep asking. Um, and we need to work to identify leaders um, and identify people people that we know would take our organization um, forward. Um, and again, I think that that um, as a group, as a collective, we've got MSBA members on board with that conversation. Well, what, what else is on your mind? Any other issues that you'll be looking at uh, in your new position? Any other thoughts? Um, you know, um, that that's kind of a big question. <laughs> um, I, you know, one thing that I they, that I didn't anticipate and now have to anticipate um, is ways to make sure that our members understand the value of MSBA membership in this virtual world. Um, it, it's, I mean, it's been all over the news. Um, COVID has impacted some firms more than others. Uh, there's been a lot of financial impact that this has had, of course, on our profession, um, but it also has had impact of us, how we deliver our services to our clients. Um, and so, you know, one thing that I'm dedicated to doing, or at least very interested in doing, both in my role as MSBA president for the benefit of our members, but also because personally it affects me, is making sure that we get over those hurdles and figure out a way to continue to maintain um, the ability to provide good legal services uh, in a way that's effective to the clients we serve. Um, but translating that back to the membership, it's again making sure that the membership understands that the MSBA is here to help them and to, to, to give them the tools that they need uh, to, to, to be successful in their practices. Um, and so, um, you know, we want, we want people who are not members of MSBA to realize that, oh, if I became a member of, an, of the MSBA, I could have that benefit as well. So we need to make sure that we are focused on keeping our members um, connected to the things that we can provide to them. Great. Well, thank you so much for your time, Diane. Enjoyed our conversation and um, I wish you, wish you well in your in your, <laughs> in your role as uh, president of the association. Thank you. You know, one of the things, a comment that I'm hearing all the time from people who have reached out uh, to me is, you know, good luck. Boy, it must be hard to be in your shoes right now. <laughs> so at least I can say that I know that people are empathetic to this, <laughs> to this, this challenge, but um, I, I feel confident that the MSBA will, will come through it and our members will appreciate our, all the services we provide. Great. Sounds good. Well, well, thanks again. Take care, Diane. Great. Have a good weekend. You too. Thank you for listening, and please subscribe to Beyond the Skyline. We can be found wherever you listen to your podcasts. To learn more about finance and commerce, or to subscribe, go to our website, www.finance-commerce.com. I'm Joel Shetler, Editor of Finance and Commerce. Thank you again for listening to Beyond the Skyline.